Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Outdoor Vitals, uh, Tayson Whitaker. Tayson, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, happy to be here, Josh. Awesome. Okay, so Outdoor Vitals, how would you best describe your business as someone who's never heard of you before? Um, so our business is is an ultralight backpacking business. Um, in a nutshell, like super, super high level, we want to build, you know, one of the next great companies such as like a North Face or Patagonia, but for the next generation, you know, for millennials or younger. Um, we like to, we operate under kind of the motto of, of live ultralight. And so we just believe that in, in a lot of different ways, uh, one product is better than two, you know, buying one ultralight product um, is going to outlast and outperform, say, buying two lesser quality products at a discount store or something like that. And you know, we believe that, uh, if you have ultralight products, um, you know, you can be ready for more type of adventures. You can take them with you more places and, and hopefully that's just more conductive to you getting out in the outdoors more and having more enjoyable experiences. Definitely. So how, tell me a little bit about your background. Um, business is obviously based in Utah. You're from Utah. How did you end up starting, uh, outdoor vitals? Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Southern Utah. The town I grew up in was about 7,000 people. Uh, so, and we were the big city around. <laughs> um, so I spent a lot of time outdoors and just really grew a passion for, for the outdoors. Um, I was a boy scout family was active outdoors, different things like that. Um, I also had a, a passion for, for business. And, uh, so I actually went to Southern Utah university here in Cedar city, Utah, and I got a finance degree. Um, but I always wanted to figure out how I could couple, um, those two passions together, a passion for the outdoors and, and, uh, kind of that entrepreneur spirit that I had within me to, to build something great. And, uh, so I started working for another e-commerce business and saw how they did things in the health space and was able to, to kind of see that as I was going throughout college. And then pretty much right as I got done with college, um, was able to start outdoor vitals and, and do it in a way that, that we're direct to consumer, um, and try to do it in, in kind of a, a more current modern, um, business model style. Okay. So you have the idea to start this business going to be direct to consumer. Did you have any background developing hard goods um, for the outdoors? I did not. No, just, uh, just using them. <laughs> so where did you start? What was the first step for you? Yeah. So at that point in my life, I was, I was really getting into the ultralight aspect of backpacking and my personal need was a sleeping bag. That was probably the most expensive thing, 
but would make the biggest change in my backpack was going from, you know, a discount store synthetic sleeping bag to a down ultralight style sleeping bag. And as I kind of looked at that and saw the pain point there and just saw how expensive things were and, and whatnot, and me being in college, I had like no money at that time. So a down sleeping bag cost to me at then just seemed outrageous. And so we actually started, excuse me, I started with, with down sleeping bags. That was our very first product. So how long was the uh, prototyping process to develop that down sleeping bag? <clears throat> it was quick. Um, I'm kind of a big believer that, that, um, that getting to cash is, is super important with the business. Uh, you see a lot of people, um, which we probably will talk about a little bit later, both like say Kickstarter or, or these other places that they'll, they'll spend, you know, so much time developing that first product and then they don't really have a way to sell it. So, uh, I ordered three different units from three different factories. Um, after narrowing down from, you know, tens of twenties of factories, uh, got the three units with, with the 500 bucks that I had, uh, looked at them, inspected them. Um, from there, I went back to the manufacturer and said, you know, made it a few small altercations, um, to make them more like suitable for, for American sized people and different things like that. And, uh, I ordered three more of those. And at this time, I think they thought I was just ordering samples still, but I got those three and I sold them and <laughs> reinvested the profits. And, uh, that was the start. <laughs> That's all. So you started with pretty low, uh, quantities after you sold three, you bought six, then 12, then just slowly grew <laughs> it from there. That's pretty much exactly right. With a lot of, uh, downtime in between, I would, I would get like, I think I went three and then 10 and, but I like, was like, oh man, 10 going to last me like a month. And then I got the 10 and sold them in like a couple days. And I was like, oh crap. And I'd be stocked out for like weeks, if not a month. And then I'd be like, man, okay, I've got this many, like it's going to last me forever. And anyways, yeah, it was, it was pretty humble. And, and the growth was, was pretty good at that point. And, uh, definitely didn't understand how many of these things we'd be able to sell. Who are you selling them to friends, family, people you met outdoors or, no. So from working at that other e-commerce business, I started running their finances and then I worked into their paid advertising. Um, and I was doing both of those things for this company. And from that, I was really able to see, um, pretty much the inside and outside of, of this company and where the sales were coming from, where they were profitable. And, and so at that point in time, there was a big opportunity on Amazon. And so rather than try to build out a website, try to drive paid advertising to it, try to do what normal whole teams will do. I, um, started listing the products on Amazon, optimizing all of that and, and, and moving things on Amazon. At that point in time, it was possible for a little guy like me with no funding to, to kind of get started on Amazon. Any more comments? That's really interesting. So what's changed between then and now where that's not really a possibility? Now it's just super, super competitive. Um, so in order to get started now, like you have to give away units, you have to like, like a lot of times you're giving away multiple free units. A lot of times you're, you know, you have to start by spending a lot of ad money potentially. Um, you know, you've got to get a, you got to get to reviews. You got to get ranked. Um, back then I was able to literally put my product up. It got ranked and seen organically and started getting sales organically. Now, if you did that, you'd end up on page 10,000 and you'd never be seen. Right. That's really interesting. So the timing was perfect. <laughs> yeah. I got in just, just as the good times on Amazon were closing and, and was able to, to get to cash and, and get the company off the ground. 
That's really interesting. Okay, so you start with this sleeping bag. What what were the next steps? Where did you go next from there? Um, I went with more sleeping bags. So we started expanding our line. We started with like a, a middle of the road down sleeping bag, similar to like a Kelty Cosmic, um, kind of the lower end budget down bag. And from there we expanded to a synthetic bag, like a higher end synthetic bag. And then also like an 800 fill power down sleeping bag. Um, so we just kind of started expanding with, with different insulations and and whatnot. Um, from there going forward for about the next, uh, I was probably close to two years before we launched anything other than sleeping bags. And you basically hit the ground running full time from college. No. Yeah. From college I did, but I had a day job per se for the next year. And then I went part-time at the day job for another six months. And so, um, I actually didn't quit my day job until, uh, the revenue of, of outer vitals had exceeded what I was going to make in like the whole month at, at my day job. And I was like, okay, I think outer vitals needs my full attention. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, okay. So you're, you're slowly growing this using Amazon sort of as your, um, your marketing channel. What, what did you do to then expand outside of that? So, yeah. So the whole time I always, I mean, from day one, I knew that Amazon was a stepping stone. I knew it wasn't the end all be all. And so the entire time that we were doing Amazon, I was building a website. I was filming videos and posting them on YouTube. I was working on social followings and collecting emails. Um, so I was doing all of the things that, that you would do if you didn't have Amazon and we're trying to shift our revenue to be more diverse and whatnot, whatnot with that. And so that was always a part of the game. Um, and, and we did that, you know, from day one, essentially, even though at first, you know, it seemed like nothing was really happening there, but over time it, it started to really add up. Definitely. Now, what what kind of feedback were you getting from your customers? Because like at this point, obviously, in the beginning, you're going from dozens of customers to then hundreds to now thousands. What feedback were you getting from your customers to like really sort of validate what you guys were offering and how it was unique or better than what was already out there? Yeah, so um, feedback was was really good. But I will say when you sell on a platform excuse me, when you sell on a platform like Amazon, um, one thing that we found over the course of years is that the customer base is not as well educated. Um, typically they're just kind of going on there searching and they look for the best deal or whatever and they, and they're buying it. Um, and, and so they, they, you know, they reviewed our product really high. It was really good. Um, but we kept innovating our own product essentially because we wanted it to be better. And we, um, wanted to keep pushing that envelope, which has now had actually negative consequences on Amazon. Um, but good for, for the company, but the feedback initially was good. People couldn't believe the price. Um, they couldn't believe, you know, what they were getting and, and different things. And at that point in time, it was just, um, you know, a similar bag, like I say, to something like the Kelty, but, um, half the price because we're direct to consumer. Was there anything that you learned in sort of going through that prototyping process from the sleeping bags to now all the products that you guys offer now? Um, you know, what did you really learn uh, throughout that journey? Um, that's a good question. I think. I think uh, as far as as far as going through the prototyping, one thing that we've definitely learned and 
and it's helped us in getting started is that like, like you've already mentioned, I wasn't a designer. Um, I had, I had pretty good skills online marketing and finance, but, um, I wasn't a designer, but I used our products a ton and I could, I could see what I felt like was usable. I could, I could do research. I could, I could, uh, do all of that. But, um, instead of having to design it and draw it and 3d model it and do all of that, what we found out is that a lot of these factories have phenomenal prototyping, um, individuals. And if you don't give them every single detail, um, that's not necessarily the end of the world because they've made hundreds of different products and hundreds of different bags and they're very skilled at what they do. So we would focus on big picture things. I would literally draw them in Photoshop, draw them on notepads, take pictures, explain them three or four times in text, and then they would prototype it back. And, uh, you know, people might not think that that's a possible way to design, but it got us off the ground and got us going. And they're the, the people there, you know, they've been making prototypes for tens, twenties, thirties, I don't know, hundreds of different companies. Um, they're highly skilled and they, they could fill in those gray areas that maybe a 3d model would have showed. Right. That's really interesting. Now in sort of going through this process, did you ever worry about any kind of competition? Um, or were you just focused on creating a great product, offering it at a good price, and then just assuming that um, you would grow as a result of that? Um, I always anticipated competition, and but at the very beginning, you know, we were the competition. We were we had nothing to defend. We were just coming on the offensive, and uh, I always knew though that, that there would be competition coming. That's why we were building our website, why we were doing these other things. Um, but, but yeah, definitely some competition showed up and they undercut our price and they kind of duplicated our products. And, um, it definitely hurt because on Amazon price is the number one, you know, factor. And at that point we weren't competing with, with other direct to consumer businesses. We were only competing with retail businesses. So our price was phenomenal. And the problem with that is people loved us because of our price. and even though not, we didn't necessarily want to be the price guys, it was something that was really easily marketable and, and kind of came into fruition. And so when these other guys came in and undercut us and, and started stealing Amazon share and whatnot, like, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, that put pressure on us to be like, okay, it's time for the next step. And, and, uh, so we started, you know, we realized how much we'd kind of pigeonholed ourselves by talking about price way too much when in reality, like price was a selling factor but the business was never set to be a discount budget store. We wanted to design premium ultralight gear, but just sell them directly to consumer at honest prices and, and make them more affordable, more get them into more people's hands. And so we, at that point, you know, we had to start shifting a lot of our messaging to what we really wanted to do, which was design premium gear. And, um, we've been, you know, continually making shifts in, in the way we message. Uh, we've been dropping products that, that maybe aren't considered ultra light anymore and, and really honing in on that factor. And, and I guess what you'd call like stage two of the business. Right, right. And the, the Loft Tech Adventure Jacket's a perfect example of that, where it's a product that's incredibly unique, that's nowhere on the market, and it's at a great price, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we, what the next stage is, is to continue to innovate. And, you know, anything that we innovate, we want it to be ultralight and hit those, those criteria. Um, 
and then like you mentioned, like we do always, even though we don't want to talk about price is like anymore and make that the selling point. We, we will always sell things at, at what we feel are honest prices. So let's talk about the Kickstarter for, um, the, uh, loft tech adventure jacket. Uh, you yeah. raised over $750,000. You recently wrapped this up. Your goal was 20 K. Um, what was, what would you attribute the success uh, to that campaign because it, it has to be one of the most successful campaigns on Kickstarter at this point. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, obviously we had a great team here. Um, I spent a lot of, we all spent a lot of late nights and things getting this thing out and, and doing it. Um, I think, I think the success is kind of one of those things where, it's like, it's like when you're, when you're climbing a peak, you know, some people just want to look at the top of the peak all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, but a lot of times if you just put your head down and go, when you finally stop and look around, you realize how far you've made it. And, uh, I think that that was, we had, we had so many things that we've worked on, studied, prepared for collected emails, you know, gain followers, gain subscribers for so long. The jacket was, was one time when, when we were able to put everything, you know, put our very, very best work forward. Um, and have it, have it come true, you know, have it really work and resonate and, and connect with all the people that follow us, the messaging, the copywriting, you know, all those things I think finally came together, which was just super, super cool. Um, the other part of that though, is we had great marketing partners on it. Um, we definitely couldn't have done what we did without, um, some connections and things that we were able to, um, to find and and have some great marketing partners, um, you know, helping us with, with some ads, um, giving us feedback and different things like that. Um, and that was also extremely helpful. So who, who were the partners and what did they do exactly that really helped you guys make it so successful? Yeah. So, um, the first partner we had was, was a company called Launchboom. And Launchboom is a fantastic company, especially for companies that have little to no followers initially. Um, a lot of people will design a product and it may be the best product in the world, but they'll put it on Kickstarter and it'll just be crickets. You know, no one will buy it. No one will show up. No one will talk to them. And, uh, it's a hard thing. So Launchboom does something where it's like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll actually start getting followers, subscribers before you ever launch your campaign. That way, when you launch it, you're launching to an audience, you're launching to some initial backers so that maybe we can get you close to your funding goal you know, within that first week, let's say, and then hopefully we pick up organic traffic after that. Um, so launch boom, that's how they work for other people. And they'd be fantastic for people that don't maybe have a following yet for us. We had a following. And so they just helped us a lot with, with the design of the campaign, um, the landing page. Um, they were helping us a little bit with ads, but they also had a lot of great connections for us to introduce us to some additional marketing partners. Um, which then the probably one of the companies that had a bigger impact was a company called Jell up and they ran most, most of the ad spend on the campaign. Um, they're a company that they're kind of in by invite only they're, They don't work with everyone, but if they think your campaign has potential and maybe you've got, you know, maybe a company has potential, then they, then they'll work with you. And, um, they're, they're really good at what they do and, and they made a big impact impact on this. And that's J E L L O P J E L L O P. Yep. Awesome. Cool. That's really interesting. Um, okay. So you have a wide variety of products now at this point. Um, you have a team of four running and building the business. What has, um, this the growth been like from those early stages when you were just on 
um, Amazon to where you are now? Was it a pretty exponential explosion to now, obviously, we're at the point where you have this really successful Kickstarter campaign? Um, the, yeah, the first years were definitely exponential. My biggest problem in those first years were I couldn't keep anything in stock. We were just selling it so fast. I was reinvesting every penny I had. I was getting as much money from anyone who loaned me money as I could, and we were just growing like crazy. Um, I would say in uh, 2017, we started to really feel the pressure though of our Amazon sales channel slowing down due to people coming in and, and undercutting our prices and, and offering lower quality products and, and, and what, but, 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 but doing it under the keywords and stuff that we had been doing really, really well under. So we started to really feel that pressure. And at that point, the company growth went from like, 16 X in a year to five X in a year. And it went down to two X in a year. Um, and then this last year we were really doing a lot of transitions. Um, I kind of quit putting like any energy and effort into Amazon. We're just looking at website and other options. And so our growth, um, was not nearly significant. We definitely, we didn't grow by two X this year, but we, hopefully we made some really important pivots and we set up for, for some crazy growth, um, to come as, as the goal and the hope. Right. But yeah, in those first years, it was, it was mad. I mean, it was, it was so frustrating because I could never get enough product here to, to satisfy. And so we would have stockouts after, you know, just, we'd run out of inventory and run out of inventory. And anytime you run out of inventory, um, you know, your Amazon rank starts dropping, but also you just know that every day you don't have inventory, that would have been X amount of units that, that would have been there selling. And, and that was kind of maddening in those first, those first years. Yeah. I can only imagine, especially when you're bootstrapping, it's not like you have this large surplus of cash flow that you can just inject into the business and be like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> right. Like I started with 500 bucks and, and we ran things lean. We still run things really lean, but the, the long-term goal is, you know, I didn't want to take venture capital. We had, we had people offering, we had options and um, I didn't want to take venture capital because I feel like I want our, our stakeholders, our shareholders to always be our customers. I don't want to have, um, you know, the venture capital firm or whoever it is calling shots and deciding what's best. I don't want to have to focus on maybe next quarter's profits, but focus on, you know, what this could be in 10 years for, for us and our customers. And so I really fought that and I'm really glad that I did. Um, but yeah, it was always, it was always there and it's always tempting to be like, man, if we took a little bit of venture capital, you know, what could we do? Yeah, that's always the balance, right? It's uh, how, where do you sit on it? How far in one direction do you go? Because it's so true where like if you do raise that capital, your your priorities shift quite a bit, you know, and it's not only your vision of what you want the company to be. It's now, you know, all these other people <laughs> giving yep. their opinion and what the company should be and how it should be growing and where you guys should be going um, in the future. Yeah. And I, th I think I look even right now at the companies that are out there. I still think that the, the best companies that are out there um, are the companies that still have the founders there. They're driving it forward. They still have that founder's vision and, and they're still kind of in charge. I feel like anytime um, the companies get passed on, whether they get passed on to investors, whether the founder, you know, exits the company or, or maybe passes away, that's when the companies start to really change and they uh, it seems like they start to really lose a lot of those core values. Um, and, and so I want to keep those core values in the company as long as, as possible. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it from a business standpoint. When your sole purpose, like when you're first starting out, your purpose is to create a product that your customer wants so that they come back and purchase again. You make them happy, right? But then when you raise a bunch of capital, it's all about profits. <laughs> and profits don't always align with what's best for the customer <laughs> in a lot of right. cases. So you, you, you lose a lot of that as it, as it grows, especially if you go that route. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's easy. I mean, we, on a daily basis, you know, if, if a customer has a, has some kind of issue come up, maybe product got shipped to the wrong place. I don't know. There's a whole handful of things that can happen, but if you're run by an investment group, you know, you do as little for that customer as possible to try to mitigate your loss or, or whatever that might be. Whereas me and our, and our team, you know, we, we try to say, okay, let's take care of this customer as best we possibly can because this customer could have maybe a lifetime value of, of hundreds, if not thousands. But if we, you know, but that's going to be determined on how we treat them at this point in time. And if you're thinking short term, you know, you, you, you don't get to build that, that culture, that tribe, that loyal following that you can when, when you're really trying to make something more long-term and bigger. Very true. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point? Ooh. Biggest mistakes. I mean, we already kind of covered one. I would say the single biggest mistake that that we made um, was focusing our our messaging and our marketing on price way too much. Um, like I said, the the goal was never for us to be a price competitor as a company. We uh, we wanted to, to innovate and design great gear and versatile gear and 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 ultralight gear. Um, but when it came down to it, it, it was so easy to say. Hey, we're half the price and people respond to that messaging so fast. Um, but by doing that, it, it, it got us labeled as a budget backpacking gear company. Um, and that's, that's not what we wanted. And, and with Amazon just wanting us to like wanting everyone to have lower and lower prices, um, where, and we're not, we're not going to play that game. Um, that left us with, with kind of a flat year this last year. That was, so that was definitely the single biggest mistake. Um, other than that, I would say, I, I think one of our other big mistakes was, um, you know, one of my first hires, I hired him for his skill set rather than his passion for the outdoors. And over time that, that really became more and more and more apparent. We'd start doing company trips, backpacking trips. He wouldn't want to come. Uh, we'd talk right. about gear. We'd, we'd geek out about gear and how cool this is. You know, he'd have no input and it's a small thing, but over time it started to have a big impact, especially because on my next hires, I did hire people that used our gear that loved it, that were backpacking or traveling all the time. And, and, um, they had great feedback. They loved the company. They had passion for the company and it was a huge change. It's just a massive change that, that employee that I, that I had initially hired. Um, he's awesome. He just didn't have that same passion. And he since has moved on to a different company, um, to, to something that's a little bit more passionate for him. But I look at that and, um, yeah, going forward before I know anything that they have as far as capabilities, all I'm really, all I really care about is how much passion they have for the outdoors. You know, when was the last time you were out backpacking? When was the last time you're, you know, traveling and, and, and doing this stuff? And if they don't have an answer, then that's the end of the interview. <laughs> no, I think that's really smart. Like you need to have people who care and are invested in it. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, those are the people who are going to stay up late working <laughs> if they like yeah. nothing that they have to always, but if like something goes wrong for a customer and they put themselves in that circumstance, like, well, I would want, you know, the company that I bought this gear from 
to work with me and make sure that like all my issues are, are dealt with. Right. And someone who may not have that same passion for that might not do that, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely that it's, it's that they go a step farther um, too. like if, if they're talking to a customer and the customer has a concern, they can speak from experience. Oh yeah. I used right, that exactly. product last week and this is how I did it. This is, you know, the experience I had or, or even like, you know, you can train someone to have answers, but you can't train someone to like know a product inside and out and, and knowing a product inside and out, is just a totally different experience than someone who, who knows what they can read on the website, you know? No, I think that's a really good point. Um, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or just a business in general? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, you need a, you need a good idea. You need, you need a solid foundation to stand on as far as the idea for the company. Um, but I see a lot of people, um, when they try to start a company they'll you know, I, once, once you like kind of start a company and, and have that, I guess, rep, a lot of people love to talk to you about it. Right. So of hundreds of people that have talked to me about it, I've seen like two or three people actually do something about it. Um, so that's, that's lesson number one is like, it's going to be way harder than you think it's glamorous to look at starting a business, but in the trenches, it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of hard work. Um, and it's going to have a toll on you. But, but besides that, I would also say that a lot of people love to focus on the product. They love to focus on the problem that they're fixing and, and, and all of that, which is extremely important. If you don't, if you're not fixing a problem or doing something, you know, then, then you don't have a business either, but the next stage is okay. They, they, they might spend five or 10 grand. They might get a patent. They might do something like that. They get the product and they're like, man, this product's so good. It's going to sell itself. And the reality is the sales channel, your way to sell that product is, is really your primary, most important thing without sales. You don't have a business without revenue. You don't have a business. And so for me personally, um, you know, when I got started, that was one thing that I had spent a couple of years learning how to do, which was sell online and study selling. You know, when I was 18 years old, I went and sold, uh, alarm systems door to door because I wanted to learn how to sell something. I was, I was kind of an introvert growing up and I was like, man, if I don't fix this, it's going to be a huge hole in my armor. And, and so I would say, you know, people, when they get started, um, getting to cash, is the most important. You can ask your friends and family if it's a good idea, they're going to say yes. But until someone hands you a dollar, you don't know if you have an idea. That's really great advice. Where do you see outdoor vitals in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah. So we're, we're working as fast as we can. So it's hard to say one year, like I have these dreams, but the dream is definitely, um, we want to build, you know, that next, that next great, company, um, for, for like millennial generations and younger. Um, and, and so we want to, we want to see us grow to be, to be of that size, but also we just want to really double down and, and, and cultivate a following of people that, that share our same values. And those values really are that, that we value experiences, you know, more than things. And, that, that these people are, are go-getters, that they're going to go out there and, and see the world. They're not going to talk about it. They're going to go do it. Um, they're going to live ultralight. So they're going to be more minimalist style people that, um, you know, value those types of things. I want to see us have a much wider range of products. Um, we got started by, by introducing a lot of different sleeping bags 
Um, and that was, that was also a mistake. You could add that to the mistake section of this podcast is historically, um, and from kind of what I'd studied in business and different things, it was a good idea to double down and to get really deep in one thing. But with the rise of the internet and with followings and stuff like that, it's, it's better to have to, to really hone in on the interest group and then design products that fit that one interest group, that one avatar. And so you'll see us start to design a lot of products for outdoor enthusiasts. Um, with the introduction of like the jacket, it opened a, up a whole different market for us, which was apparel. Um, you'll see us have just a, a wider range, hopefully of products that are all centered around being ultralight, being minimalist, um, but will enable that avatar, that person who wants to live ultralight, have minimal impact, um, see the world, be a minimalist in, in the amount of stuff that they own. And hopefully we'll be able to, to enable them to experience all they want to experience through our, through our catalog. So you'll see us wear a lot more apparel. You'll see us redesign some gear that might not fall into the ultralight category right now. And you'll see us also roll out probably a little bit of, kind of travel outdoor travel gear, not necessarily backpacking gear, but, um, maybe something you could take from this country to another country and still be able to go outdoors in that country. Right, right, right. What's the best part about running outdoor vitals? (laughs) Um, I think, I think the best part is being able to, to work in the industry that you love, um, and to be able to, you know, not sell widgets, but sell things that you, that you care about. Um, that's, that's really fun to be able to actually like, it's on one hand, it's hard. Cause anytime I'm out backpacking, I feel like I'm still working. Cause I'm just like scrutinizing our products. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's hard, but at the same time, the amount of time I get to spend in the backcountry is, is also increased and, um, and it's justified. And, and so that's, that's also great about it. But, um, I, I have, I have a passion, like I say, for whatever reason for, for business. Um, and so I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy working with, with our team. I enjoy, you know, creating videos and, and cultivating a following. Um, so, so I kind of get the best of both worlds. Like I would, I would label business as a passion for me. Um, and I think the best part is that this passion of mine for the outdoors and business can go for something good. Um, just, just yesterday, actually, we, we put out a video about, um, like we have a 1% program similar to something I could see from Patagonia. And we were able to write a $40,000 check yesterday and, and pass that off. And that was, that was like a big moment for me too, to see the amount of impact that we can have in that regard too. And so that's just really fresh on my mind, but there's a lot of, I I'm lucky. I, I get, I get the best of all things. It seems like so love that. I can hear the passion in your voice and just the excitement for everything that you're doing, um, with outdoor vitals. Um, I want to take a second to uh, mention that for anyone listening, before February 5th, you can actually enter to win some gear from Outdoor Vitals, along with a ton of other outdoor brands. You can just head over to RedYeti.com for your chance to win before February 5th. Um, And with that, um, Taysen, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing your story and what it's been like building Outdoor Vitals and where you guys are going in the future. Um, it was really fun to get to know you and just hear that, hear the whole story. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've got a different origin story, I think, than most. So it's always fun to share it.
If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.